Welcome to the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. I'm Derek Glover, preacher of the Monroe Church of Christ in Monroe, Wisconsin, and I want to thank you for joining us. I hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment or a review on iTunes, and share it with a friend, family member, co-worker, or someone that you think would be interested to know more about our Savior, Jesus Christ. We continue our study this morning on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we're developing and seeing a familiar pattern with some of these characteristics. Paul writes in Galatians about the results of having a Spirit-filled life and a Spirit-led life. Fruit is the um, representation, it is the result of health and of life. It is the means by which uh, living things are exponentially reproduced. And we've been examining these characteristics not simply as attitudes or character traits or good works, but as a whole, as how we exude the love of God, how we exude evidence of the Spirit, evidence that we are, in fact, children of God, led by His hand. And through those characteristics, we not only demonstrate who we are and identify ourselves, but we share with others and plant the seeds of that fruit in others as well. And today we come to the trait of goodness. And I think you're seeing the pattern in some of these words that they have lost their meaning in our common diction. They have lost their uh, place in the way that we use the words. Because we end up, for the first part of, of this study, in an exercise of definition. We have to properly define the word, lest it be something broad and generic. Kindness was kind of that way. We talked about last week, but patience also the week before. And this week, goodness. If there was ever a broad term to, to describe something positive, it would be goodness. Because goodness has taken on a meaning of just generally being a pretty okay person. You have goodness in your heart. Well, that means you're not mean to people or you're not rude or you try to take care of others. And really, the word is very specifically used in Scripture. And so if we're going to study words in Scripture, we also need to look at how else it's used in Scripture. And goodness has become kind of this generic thing sometimes. and It has lost its meaning, but we need to understand these words properly. We need to understand them to know what they are. And we need to understand them so we can understand why they're important, so that we can understand how the Spirit moves to bring about these traits. And in doing so, we can understand a little bit about God and how we reflect Him. When Paul uses the word goodness, he's using, when he writes in the Greek, a word, agathosune. Agathosune is a very specific word, and it has a connotation, and oftentimes the Greek is that way. I mean, we don't always have the exact word in English that they have in Greek. I don't know if you've ever read lists, but sometimes you'll see these floating around online of words in certain languages that have no English equivalent. Uh, and they're kind of funny, you know, uh, whether it be German or Russian or, or, or some other kind of, of foreign language to us. There are words that describe feelings and meanings and, um, and things like that. We don't have an English word for it. Uh, one language I read one time, I don't remember which it is, that, that has a word specifically that refers to the tingling sensation when a part of your body has fallen asleep. What do we call that? We don't call it, we call it tingling. We don't know what it is. 
but, but some cultures and languages have a word for it. Well, the same thing is true with the Greek, that they often would have words for things that we don't really have an English equivalent for, but we've tried to do our best. Goodness is kind of one of those. It carries a connotation, and we can see the evidence of that in the context, and that connotation is caring benevolence. For us, when we see the word goodness used to describe people of faith, it is often used to describe a caring benevolence that we have for one another. We don't talk often about this idea of benevolence anymore. This has become a term and really a topic that's fallen by the wayside in our churches and in our conversation about living a Christian life. And that's a sad thing because it's so often brought up in the New Testament. It's so often referred to by Jesus. It's so often talked about as something that we should be engaged in. Acts of caring and of goodness and of mercy and benevolence. We're familiar now with the idea of a social safety net. Uh, it's not a new concept. We think of it as something that's part of the, the developed world and of Western culture and society, and it really is in the way we understand it now, but it's existed in some parts of the world for centuries, for ages. The Jews in Paul's time and in Jesus' time had somewhat of a social safety net, and it was community-based. Because when they would have a party, the whole town would come. Those that were invited sat at the table, but those from the community that were less fortunate gathered around the outside of the room. And they waited for the feast to be over, and then they were invited to come and take the leftovers. That was something that was a part of their law and their culture and their ritual. And it was done as a part of a social safety net. The social safety net was also a part of what Jesus was telling them to do in caring for the poor, that Paul would remind people to do and James would remind people to do in caring for the poor. If you look in this same book where we find the fruit of the Spirit uh, earlier in chapter 2, Paul talks about uh, a difference of opinion that he and, and some of his um, uh, folks had with Peter and some of the other early Christians regarding the idea of uh, Gentiles becoming Christians and what was required of them. The issue uh, was really circumcision. But Paul talks about meeting with Peter and with others and having a discussion about what was required of Gentiles. And Paul was entrusted with the gospel for the Gentiles. And he meets with Peter and he says, I met with these people and we talked and we have a difference of opinion. But they saw that I was faithful, and I saw that they were faithful, and in good faith we shook hands, and we said, go on your way and teach the gospel. And in verse 10 of chapter 2, he says, you know, uh, they, they had faith in me, and they entrusted me to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The only thing they required was that I care for the poor. And he says, which I was going to do anyway. That's what Paul says in Galatians 2 and 10. Here were two followers of Christ Two very prominent teachers in the early church that had a difference of opinion on something. They were divided, but they came together and they, they talked about their differences and they extended the hand of fellowship to one another. Despite the difference that they had, they saw in one another a desire to do good. And the only requirement that, that was placed on Paul by his brethren was to care for the poor. Now, I don't know that that's the solution to all that divides us sometimes, but it certainly does tell us the importance, at least in the early church, of caring for those who were less fortunate. 
We don't really understand benevolence today as a community-based thing. Now, technically it is, um, because a lot of Western cultures and societies and governments have really a more compulsory kind of benevolence. We are, our taxes are taken from us by force, and then the government has various means of trying to care for people less fortunate because we believe that it's good for society to not have people falling by the wayside and getting lost. Now, you can agree or disagree with that mechanism. The politics of that really don't matter. That is how it is. That is how our societies have developed to say that we as a community will come together and do it in a compulsory way to care for others. But the side effect of that is that we have a lot fewer conversations in our churches about how we care for people. And it's created a culture sometimes of suspicion. It's created a skepticism about how we see people in need and how we respond to their needs and care for them. That's a tragic side effect of how we've developed our ideas of benevolence and caring for those less fortunate. And the concept of agatosune, this fruit of the Spirit, this goodness, is to say that those who follow God should be concerned first and foremost as members of a society with caring for those who have fallen by the wayside. In a lot of ways, our job has been taken from us by the world around us. And in some ways, the way that other organizations give and care is more appealing now. But we have to take back that role we have to take back that responsibility. We have to be a people, not just of the word, not just people who know the Bible, not just people who worship the one true God and follow his son, but we should be known by even those who do not follow our way as a people who are loving and caring and benevolent. We should exude agatosune to the world around us. We should be benevolent and, and hear the words of the New Testament when the word goodness comes up. Paul, in, when he writes uh, the letter uh, to Philemon, and he's talking about Onesimus, the slave who had uh, escaped from a Christian owner and a Christian master and come to him. You know, a lot of people have problems with Paul uh, because he lived in a world where slavery existed and he dealt with slavery and he talks about it, but he never says we shouldn't do it. He talks about Christians who are owners of slaves and tells them to be good Christian slave owners. Doesn't tell them to get rid of their slaves. Well, that's a problem for us today because we, we understand people shouldn't own other people. But Paul lived in a time where he could not foresee a reality where slavery didn't exist. He gets a little bit of a pass on this one because what he's, if you read the book of Philemon, it becomes pretty clear. It's not so much the question of morality over slavery versus not having slavery. That's a, that's a question we've tackled in our history, and we've come to a conclusion on it. We shouldn't own one another, and that's fine. Paul didn't live in that time, and he dealt in that context. And in that context, he said, your relationship, first and foremost, is as brethren. And if as a brother you have an obligation to another, you should fulfill it. And he says to Onesimus, you need to go back to Philemon. You need to go back. And, and he writes this letter to Philemon, and he says, listen... Onesimus came to me, we're brothers, you and I are brothers, all three of us are brothers, treat him like a brother. Our world will present to us different relationships and different roles from time to time. You will have employers and employees who are Christians. 
You will have friends and neighbors who are Christians. You will have doctors, police officers, governors who are Christians. And what the Bible teaches us is that in God's eyes, those roles don't matter. We respect them and we fulfill them, but we do so as Christians. And when he writes to Philemon, he says, hey, I didn't want to do anything without your permission. I didn't want to do anything without your permission because I didn't want your, and the word he uses there is goodness. I didn't want your goodness to be compulsory. I didn't want you to feel obligated. This is in chapter one, verse 14. I didn't want you to feel obligated by what I did to, to go along with it. I wanted your consent because I wanted your goodness to be sincere. Agathosune, your benevolence and your love and your care for this brother should come from your heart. Why? Why should it come from the heart? Let's look at the words of Jesus. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Let's look at verse 34. Then the king, this is, he's talking about the sheep and the goats, separating the sheep and the goats, judgment. Verse 34, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you and, and fed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. This contrast is given by Jesus in Matthew chapter 25. That there will be those who are judged, who are separated from others, and those who receive the glory, those who come into the kingdom, will be those identified as having given benevolence, agathosune, given care and love to the world around them. Why? Not because good deeds earn you a spot in eternal life. We, we understand that that's not the case. We understand our relationship with God is tied through the blood of Christ. But in how we live, and that's what we're talking about, how does that blood, how does that salvation affect how you live? Well, that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It is what grows out of a heart that is connected to God through Christ, yes? So, how does that manifest itself? And Jesus says that as God examines the heart and he examines a faithful life, he will see the good works that the Spirit produces and what they are is goodness, benevolence and love and care for the less fortunate. Why? Why? Not just for the sake of doing it, but because when you do that, it is as if you're doing it to God himself. Our actions of care and benevolence reflect God, but also act as a service to God. Because we wear a representation of him. This is the connection between the idea of benevolence that we give others and how it impacts our soul and how God sees it. If we want to learn about the nature of God and how we reflect him in the fruit of the Spirit, then this is a great verse to understand. 
When the Spirit compels us to actions of benevolence, we are doing those not only on behalf of God, but directly to Him. We serve God by serving others, Jesus tells us. And that is how our hearts will be viewed in the judgment. That is how God will look upon us. Did you clothe yourself in my son and his blood? And did that clothing mean anything to you? Did it cause you to do anything differently with your life? Did it cause you to act on behalf of others? Because if it did, you were acting on behalf of me. And now this crosses over because we're now understanding a little bit about God and about this concept of agathosune. If you look at the word goodness in Scripture in reference to how we should live, you see things like this, caring for the poor, caring for the needy, the orphans, the widows, etc. And yet, if you see this word goodness applied to Jesus or to God in the Old Testament especially, you see something a little bit different, but very much the same. As we look through and find this word applying to God, you will see things like Jeremiah 31, 14. I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance and my people will be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Psalm 25, 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. You'll see Psalm 145, verse 7. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully, of your righteousness. In the Psalms, David uses the word goodness. And again in Psalm 65, verse 4, how blessed is the one whom you chose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. Hosea chapter 3, verse 5, Afterwards the son of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. This idea of goodness connected to God in a very similar fashion refers to benevolence and caring for the less fortunate. But it's not the homeless, it's not the sick, it's not the widowed or the orphaned or the destitute. When it comes to God's goodness being shown, it's shown to us. When the word agathosune is used to refer to the fruit of the Spirit, Paul is talking about the benevolent caring and love that we exhibit to the world around us. And when the same word is used to apply to God, it is used to refer to his sanctifying and restorative power. When we see that word connected to God, it refers to his ability to put things right. To take which is broken, that which is broken, and make it whole. And that is you and I most often. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, and he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show compassion to whom I'll show compassion. God is sovereign. God gives in his own way and in his own time, but his compassion and his benevolence and his giving is his goodness. I think this is one of those words, and there are several in Scripture, but this is one in particular that we ought to take back. 
that we ought to restore its meaning. I remember having a conversation with, uh, with Ryan um, you know, sometime within the first year that, that I was here. And we went out to lunch uh, after church one day, and it seemed like the whole Wilson clan was there. Maybe some cousins were in town or something. And, and I had used a word in a sermon. I don't even remember what it was now, but it was one of those Bible words, and that's what he referred to it as. Uh, something like help meet or propitiation. One of those things that no one has ever said except in a sermon. And he looks at me across the table and says, if you ever use that word in a sermon again, I'm going to just interrupt you right in the middle of it and make you stop. And we had this conversation about words and their meaning. Because, as he conveyed to me, there are words that have no meaning in our context today. And, and we had a, a discussion, not really an argument, about this. And I agree. There are sometimes words that don't have any modern meaning today. It's how it was translated, and for hundreds of years it's been this way in our language, and for thousands of years it was that way in a different language, and we do need to understand context and how words mean things. But there are also words that because we've lost the language don't mean what they should. Goodness in the Bible is one of those words. And I believe we can use different words to describe what it means or we can redeem the word and let it no longer be a generic sense of good deeds to others or a generic broad concept of just being nice. But let goodness be something that dwells in us. Let goodness be something that exudes from us, that pours out of us. Let goodness be something that we live every day, not simply because we are good, but because we have been made righteous by one who is good. God showed us his goodness through his son. He cared for and gave to the less fortunate, and that's us. Lost in our sin, buried in our shortcomings, destroyed by our failure in humanity, God reached down through his son and restored us. His goodness in Scripture, is a restorative, redeeming power. And by redeeming us and making us whole, he left with us this guide, this, this helper, this Greek, in the Greek it's paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the one that goes on a journey with us, that helps to bear our burden. And through that Spirit, we can have that same goodness, that benevolence, and when we let that live out in our communities and in our families and in our churches, we care for those who are less fortunate. And in caring for those physical needs of others, we help show them the healing power and the meeting of spiritual needs through Christ. I think goodness is one of those fruits of the Spirit that most directly informs us of what the purpose of this passage is. Paul is saying, here's how you know if you or someone around you is filled truly with the Spirit. You'll live this way. And as we've examined each of these and continue to examine them, what we have found is that, yes, there is a way that we are to live, but also it is connected to God. Every one of these characteristics that we will have as spirit-led people will impact the world around us, but will also impact our relationship to God 
Because God himself has shown these characteristics. God is love. God brings joy. God brings peace through Christ. God is patient. God's kind. And our Lord has shown goodness through his son to us. We're going to continue to study these last few characteristics over the next few weeks. But I hope you're starting to get the picture. When we live out the fruit of the Spirit, when we bear that fruit to the world around us, we're not just doing good things. We are reaching out and touching God. We are reaching out and joining in an intimate relationship with God by sharing characteristics of the Father. We get to have a little slice of God in us. We get to have a little bit of the creator and sustainer of our universe in us. And we have the opportunity to share that with the world. And what a tragedy that would be if we failed to do so. That's the encouragement of the Apostle Paul. And that is why goodness is a word that ought not be overlooked. I think the big ones like love and patience and self-control, boy, that's going to be a fun one in a few weeks. Those are big ones because they mean something to us. We connect to those words. Goodness is bleh. Goodness is real vanilla, but it's not. It's deep. It's profound. It is reaching out and holding the hand of God, recognizing the goodness, the agathosune that he has shown us and returning that to others in the ways that we can. I hope that each one of you will seek in the coming week and throughout your life to show goodness to the world around you in the ways that you can, whether it be to your family, to your friends, to the people you encounter in your work and in your recreation. And I hope in doing so, you'll do it not just because you're supposed to, not just because it feels like the right thing to do, but because you want to reflect just a small part of the benevolent love that God gave you through Christ on the cross. We should all rejoice and be very glad that God has a goodness, a righteousness, an ability to put things right because we have been broken, we have been lost, and we have been destitute. And his love through Christ has made it whole. If you have a need this morning to be made whole, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, or to be restored in your faith, and in your walk with him, we want to pray for you and walk with you. And we would like to do so now and offer this opportunity as we stand and while we sing together. Thank you for joining us for the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. We hope that you have found today's message to be uplifting, inspirational, and encouraging. Most of all, we hope that it helps you along your spiritual journey. If you have any questions or comments or would like to drop us a line, you can do so at MonroeWICOC at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and we look forward to you joining us next week.